This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. As a business owner, here's a problem you've definitely encountered. You've got a business, it's doing well. You've got a great product or service, but up until now, you've mostly survived off of word of mouth. But you want to take the business to the next level. How do you get the word out? So you got some books, watch some videos on YouTube, and you start making some plans. But while you're doing that, the business keeps going. It still needs your attention, and pretty soon, a few months have passed, and all your plans are stuck on paper. So what do you do? Many small and medium-sized businesses have struggled with this same question. That's why in today's episode of The Bottom Line, you'll hear from Phoebe Neto, the founder and managing director of Pure Public Relations, a boutique PR firm that specializes in PR for small, medium-sized businesses. By the end of this interview, you'll understand how you can take your business from word of mouth to talk of the town. Let's dive in. Hi, Phoebe. Thank you so much for joining me on The Bottom Line today. For those that don't know you, can you please tell us a little about you? So my name is Phoebe Netto and I'm the founder of Pure Public Relations and we are a boutique PR agency. So we offer public relations services to small to medium-sized businesses, fast-growing startups and scale-ups and not-for-profits. So not-for-profits could be industry bodies, member-based organisations or charities. So it's a niche that we've got in that we're not so much focused on which industry our clients are in, but the type of business or their size. So it sees us often working very differently to other PR agencies because we have to and because we want to. We enjoy working with those sorts of businesses and adapting our style to suit the way that they need to work. Tell us a little about your background. Did you, you obviously started this because you felt a need, but tell us a little about yourself. What experience have you had prior to starting the business? My background is purely public relations. I knew I wanted to study public relations when I was in high school and that's just been it for me. And the more I do it, the more I love it. Did you work for anyone else or did you go straight into your own business? No, I did. I've worked at mostly agencies, large and small, before I saw the opportunity to start this business. And I never thought it would be what it is today. I'm really glad it is what it is today, but I certainly didn't ever intend for me to be running a business like this with the clients I've got and the growth that we've had. I never saw that for myself. I simply knew that I loved the craft. I loved what I was doing. What probably changed is I also then started to see the impact it could have on the client. And that is something that I've never gotten tired of and really motivates me. And that's what's driven me to get to the place of having the agency that I've got as opposed to working for someone else. 
let's get straight into it. So my first question is quite simple and and I don't know about a lot about public relations. So the first one is in basic terms, what does that mean? What does public relations mean? A lot of people don't know and I don't think, ironically, I don't think the PR industry is very good at talking about itself, even though we are professional communicators. And that would be because the way public relations It has a very broad range of tactics, everything from getting a client in the media to trying to keep them out of it if there's an issue or reputational management issue through to awards, speaking opportunities, writing speeches, events, stunts, government relations. So because it has such a broad outworking, I think that's why we've not done a good job at talking about what it is that we do. But in a broad sense, Public relations is all about showing your audience the best part of your business, not just telling them. So advertising tells people that your business is great and can help solve problems or has something exciting to offer. And that's really important. You need to get people's attention and let them know those things. But public relations goes that step further and shows them that they really are good at what they do, not just tells them. So it says to your potential customers, this journalist or this publication, this influencer, or this person that I really trust, or this government official, or this industry association, all different kinds of influential people, they chose to support or seek out the advice of this business. Therefore, they are considered more credible, more trustworthy, more likable. They must be at the top of their field. And so I'm more likely to feel that they're a good fit for me. It helps drive trust. That's really cool. So what do you do when you get a client? So let's say you're on board a client and, you know, I'm assuming there's a process you run. Can you take us through that process when you take a company through a PR journey? One thing that we do a bit differently to other PR agencies is that we always have a preparation period first, as opposed to working things out as we go. We find it's a lot more efficient, especially when we're working with often smaller budgets because we're working with smaller clients. And so we consolidate all that work at the beginning. I also think it gets a better result because we really immerse ourselves in that business. So to start off with, we learn a lot about the business because once we are up and running, we're going to be representing them. We need to be able to speak like them. We're going to be writing articles in their tone of voice. We need to have some idea of not just what they do, but why what they do is so different and better than their competitors, what the challenges are, what does success look like for them. So we have a big immersion period. And then we develop all of the assets that we think a journalist would want to have. This is if it's a media relations campaign or if it's a government campaign, same thing. What do we think that they would need? And we use the principle of Zig Ziglar where if I can have everything that I want, if I will help you get what you want. And so we go that step further in that preparation process of what would a journalist need to have this story? Well, let's do all the work for them that it's really easy for them to say yes. So we're not just going to give them a great pitch of this is happening or this client's doing this in a unique way or this business owner has a great story. That's important. But then we also make sure we've got everything they might ask for before they ask for it and we proactively offer it. So we need to gather all of that in the beginning. And that's a great exercise because it's very hard to talk about yourself and, and 
say nice things about your work and about yourself. We do that for them. And so by the end of the process, you've got a fantastic bio written up. You've got great background material on the organization. You've in some cases got a Q&A written up if it's a bit more of a complex issue or business. You've got great high-res imagery, sometimes video footage or what we call B-roll, which is the footage you see without noise that plays in the background of a TV piece. And you've had media training or at least interview preparation skills. And you've got somebody that has gone through and dug out all of the gold. The things that you may not know are special about what you're doing because that's just what you always do or the things that you do really well or the hidden parts in your business story that you just accepted but someone else would actually find quite interesting. Almost half my team are former journalists, so they're really good detectives. And so we find all of those great stories. And then they can use that in their marketing as well. So it's a worthy exercise for actually any organization to do, even if they don't intend to go to the media, because you're starting to see things from an outsider's perspective. And people are so much more interested in why you do what you do, who's doing it, you know, the people behind the business, the story behind it. They're far more interested in that than the services you offer because honestly, everyone sounds the same when it comes to talking about their services. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Whenever we do a LinkedIn post or a social media post, when it's about the people in the organization or it's about someone's birthday or get to know a staff member, the impressions and the likes and the feedback is way higher and the engagement's higher compared to when we do something that's not as personable. So people want to get to know you, right? And I mean, that's how trust starts to be built as well. Yeah. So I do like that. So what are some of the most common misconceptions about public relations and how can this be addressed? One of the most common misunderstandings is that it's really easy to get in the media and it gets harder every year. Media have shrinking resources. They're very time poor. They are under-resourced. The demand for content gets higher with time as well, especially thanks to COVID and lockdowns. They were having to churn out so much more news at a higher frequency than before, and they're wearing many hats. So it's much harder to get their attention. There are fewer publications to get into, but a lot of competition. So it's not like a transactional ad where you hand over money and you get the coverage we have to convince them. So another word for what we do in the media is earned media. We have to earn their interest and compete with everything else that's in the news cycle at that time as well. So it does require great contact book of journalists that we've nurtured relationships with and a good understanding of what works, but it also requires just a lot of tenacity and often hustling and creativity to keep trying things till we get the results. Thankfully, my team love that. They love the thrill of the chase and they're really good at troubleshooting, but it's not for everyone. And probably the other misconception is that we're like Samantha from Sex and the City and we're just at launch and vets all the time drinking champagne. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's a little bit of that. That is one type of PR, but that's not what most PR people do, certainly not the kind that we work in. You know, we'll be sometimes at a photo shoot with hard hats on in a construction site. That's as close as we get to that. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of it's hard, hard work on the laptop and phone and sometimes it's dealing with crises 
Sometimes it's what we call newsjacking. So we see something in the news cycle, an issue taking place, and we know that one of our clients could offer some great commentary about that. And if we are really fast and we're really early in the day, we can shoehorn our client into a bigger piece of coverage than they would normally be able to get because we're fast. So we're not at the champagne launch parties. I don't know any PRs that are. Some agencies do do that. But most people that engage a PR agency are looking for more results than they are looking for hype. The larger corporates see some value in the hype because it's just another one of the tools in their toolbox. But if you can't have every tool in the toolbox and don't have the luxury of not seeing an ROI, then you want the PR agency that starts scanning the news cycle at 5am to get them great opportunities rather than drinking champagne. That is so true. How much contacts or having great relationships play a big part of the success of an agency? Like you said, you had to be very, you know, creative in the way you get to journalisms and into the media. Do you have lots of little black book of friends that you call upon and a little secret source that you need to get into? (laughs) Yes. I mean, The media, they change around a lot at the moment. So more than having the contacts, it's more the skill of being able to get them really quickly now. It used to be who you know, and those people would be in that role for decades. But now there's a lot of turnover. But we need to know what time of day they prefer to be contacted and how they prefer to be contacted, what they've written about before. If we can know interesting things about them so that we can say, how are your kids or how did that story that you were chasing end up going? That helps build rapport, of course, but we do need to understand what their pet peeves are. And not poke that bear not, if that's the no, pain. Yeah. do not poke the bear. <laughs> the relationships with media are so valued, valuable to us that we have actually parted ways with clients because it was going to risk the relationship with the journalist. And while that's revenue that we've had to say goodbye to, which is never easy, that journalist is more valuable to us than one client. So if we're not going to be able to meet or exceed a journalist's expectations because of a client maybe missing too many deadlines or not being willing to adjust to suit that journalist's preference, then we can't work with that client anymore and we've had to part ways with them. Okay. Now you mentioned the impact on customers. You, you you can hear it in your voice, the passion that comes through. So I'd love for you to share a success story of a client who approached you and now they grow, their business has gone nuts. It's growing, but just share us a success story. If you want to say the name of the company, it's your choice. If you want to keep it private, that's also fine. Just tell us the story and how PR for that business just went so well and your involvement in that. I can give you a few different examples. Oh, we love examples. So go for it. Okay. So we use PR in our own business, like this podcast interview. Yeah. <laughs> and it's another way of us showing, not telling. And so for us, it's it's for the potential clients that maybe have been to our website, like what they've seen there, but they're still not sure. If they can Google us and see that one, we can do our own PR, but two, see that we understand what their challenges are, and we've got good advice to match that, then that helps get them across the line. So almost half of our clients come from us doing our own PR. Then we've got some clients like, I'll mention them because they were on your podcast not long ago, Sabri from King Kong. Yep. 
So he's obviously brilliant at digital marketing, but he uses the PR in a very smart way. And it's something that we encourage all of our clients to do, which is when we get you media coverage or an award opportunity or an event with government or whatever tactic we end up using, that you don't just let it have that short life cycle of when it first comes out. You need to leverage it and really milk it, maximize that opportunity beyond that. So the way that King Kong does that is they use the media coverage that we secure in their ads and on their website and in their social media posts, they share it. Um, We encourage our clients to put it in their email signature, share it with prospects and clients to remind them you've chosen a good agency to work with to share it with their team, to build loyalty with their staff. We encourage them to put it in their proposals on their website as seen in on the homepage, blog content, you know, leverage it as much as you possibly can, recycle it every now and again with flashback throwback posts and share it as an article of interest to a client. I know you do that with your podcast. So you've got this discussion point that we're having right now where I'm helping you Here's an an article that I thought would be of interest to you. And lo and behold, it's you again with your advice. That just cements that you are an expert in your field. So that's the way that King Kong have found success in the media coverage is that where there are so many digital marketing agencies and it's hard to differentiate which one is actually good and going to get results. And there's a lot of distrust and the lack of credibility amongst the industry because there are a lot of cowboys to help counteract that and create a lot of trust and um, likability through the media coverage. So they've found that to be really successful part of their marketing. We've also got some clients where it's less about promoting the organization. It's more about a particular advocacy issue. So one of our clients is the industry body for aesthetic plastic surgeons. So we've been running a campaign for a couple of years called Know the Difference that's educating on the difference between specialist plastic surgeon, someone that has surgical training, and a cosmetic surgeon, which could be any level of medical practitioner, may not even have Australian medical training, but they're calling themselves this to a, a lot of patient harm. And so we've been running a very big campaign for them. Lots of media coverage about cosmetic cowboys is what we coined the term and all the botch jobs. And so that's been some government lobbying. That's been media coverage to educate patients so that they don't make the wrong decision and to put pressure on government. With a lot of our not-for-profit clients, we know which media outlets to get them in to get the right person's attention. So a youth homelessness group, for example, we know that when we get them on certain radio talkback radio programs if we can get that timed with a meeting that they've got with the right minister funding is more likely to appear that is so (laughs) clever i love it some of our clients do get the phone ringing after they've had media coverage and others it's part of that marketing mix where it punches above their weight in terms of the cost of advertising compared to pr but also that credibility factor for their reputation And for them, it's a longer-term investment in improving the effectiveness of all the other types of marketing that they've got. So their social media performs better because they've got the media coverage. Their website converts higher because of the media coverage and so on. So some of our clients have that instant effect and then others, it's strengthening everything else that they're doing. 
you talked about awards. It's something we've won a couple ourselves. It was nothing over the top or exciting. Not too bad. We won an SMSF leading best accounting firm for self-managed super fund a few years back. I mean, we did that award ourselves. I'm interested in awards because I know King Kong have um, won several awards and it's a really good way of validating a quality business and a good firm. So take us through that service or how do you do that? How do you seek these awards? Do you write the papers for them and work together as a team? Can you take us through that journey? Because that really excites me and sort of our firm and what we do here. Well, congratulations. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It can be a laborious process entering an award. So to win one is a great achievement. The first thing I would say is make sure the awards that you want to enter are credible ones. There is an increase. I'm seeing them so many this year and last year. So many awards that are really money-making exercises, but they're not well-known. The judges are lacking transparency and they're not very credible and you need to spend a lot of money and you're guaranteed to win basically. And you see some businesses parading these great award wins and I know that I also was given the same award (laughs) (laughs) that I never entered. You know, they just have no legitimacy about them and I think that does more harm than good with a business. People start to wonder why you needed to pay not just the entry fee, but to win something you never even entered or to win something that no one's ever heard of. That looks concerning. So pick the right award for starters, one that actually is reputable and hard to win. And then we would work with the client on actually writing up the entry because it really helps to have an external person that can question what you think should go in there and can spot some opportunities that you might miss of things that you're doing really well, but you just don't realize that it's unique enough to mention in an award. So we'll work with the client on writing the entry for them, whether that's just editing what they've written or doing the whole process for them. And then when they do win, we make sure that that award win is really leveraged to its full capacity as well. You mentioned smaller budgets with the smaller clients. What would it sort of I know it's very hard and how pe- how long is a piece of string when I ask this question. What would be the cost of a PR company to hire a PR company? Is it a retainer model? Do you charge per project? How do you do that at Pure Public Relations? Well, usually a PR agency is working off timesheets, a bit like a law firm, and that's in 15-minute increments and everything is accounted for. And that is usually working towards working off a retainer, a monthly retainer. Sometimes there are projects, so that could be for a shorter-term campaign or a one-off event or launch, but again, those are usually timesheet-based. Sometimes there are agencies that work off an output model, so we will send a press release to this many contacts for this much money. Um, We don't work off either of those because we want to be a lot more results-focused So I saw, particularly in larger agency work, there was a lack of focus on what is actually going to move the needle here. And that meant that you never said no to a client because even if you knew it wasn't going to be effective, that's billable time. But you may not get results, that's fine. It was billable time for the effort and the attempt. 
or for the many whip meetings and yeah you know you're sounding like an accounting firm so <laughs> when you say whip meetings I get a shiver down my spine no but it is it's got to be about it? value so when you are putting that, that time in you have to be able to say I put that time in and therefore you received that value from me that advice or something that actually was helpful to you yeah <laughs> That wasn't always the case, though, in what I was seeing with other agencies. And so the team that I have that are not former journalists, a lot of them come from that background and were very keen to move to a more results-focused approach. So when we have a campaign that's purely securing media coverage for them each month, we actually work off KPI of how many pieces of coverage we'll get, which puts the pressure on us. And sometimes... That is harder some months than other months. If it's a very difficult news cycle or the client doesn't have anything newsworthy for us to work with and we're manufacturing ideas and news for them, that's on us to do. If we have to contact three times the number of journalists than we first thought or even budgeted for, then that's just something we've got to wear. But it means that we're doing work that we're proud of and it means that we're able to have a lot of clients that don't suit that other model instead. So you really need to think on your feet. So, I mean, at the moment there's interest rates going up, house prices issues, blah, blah, blah. So if you had like, I don't know, a mortgage broker on your, on your books or a real estate agent, you'd be leveraging this news piece and getting them on, I don't know, current affairs, 60 minutes in the newspaper. Is that sort of the strategy, some of the strategies you'd be looking for that you know, the news yeah. article stuff and, and the newsworthy yes. thing that's happening? Exactly. Okay, gotcha. So in that prep period, we come up with what we call evergreen angles. These media ideas are going to work anytime. Yeah. Then we come up with some that we can foresee based on the calendar. You know, sometimes there are awareness days that we can leverage or just, you know, end of financial year, for example. Things that are predictable that we know are coming up, milestones within the organisation as well. But then that frees up our time because we've done that prep work mm. to be very fast. So, for example, when it's the federal budget, budget night, I'm up past midnight because we're working with our clients to put together really quick commentary from the federal budget that was just finished being read, usually around 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. So we've got 8 p.m. until the next morning, if not the night of, to put together reactionary comments from our clients on the areas of interest relevant to the expertise or business. And often it's first in best dressed. It's not necessarily who's the most knowledgeable. Especially when it's so hot off the press and it only going to last for maybe a couple of days. It is first in first dress. I do agree with that. What are some of the emerging trends in the field of public relations and and how can professionals stay up to date with the latest developments? So what are some of the trends that are happening at the moment? We're following the influence of AI with a lot of interest. And I know that there are some journalists that are getting some help with some of their writing. Yeah. (laughs) Helping with my emails as well, I have to say. Okay. (laughs) So that's really interesting. I think there's a lot of efficiency that can be gained for first drafts of some things. We're using it because it's a great aggregate of most frequently asked questions and the the language that people like to use when they're talking about certain topics because that's how how the copy is written. It's based on what's most commonly used. So that gives us some insight into perceptions and things that we should be aware of when we're writing interesting copy or media angles 
or coming up with positions for our clients to take. So that's just one that we're we're following with a bit of interest. I think the really average or poor writers or even PR professionals will eventually find that there is a bit of a threat there to them. And then I think there's an opportunity for the good ones to become better or at least more efficient by using it well. Do you think it'll be disruptive at all to the industry? I don't think it will be hugely, especially in Australia. Content in Australia does need to be a lot more unique than what it needs to be in some other regions, especially since there are fewer publications and we're a real cynical bunch. So I don't think it'll go so far, but I think there will be media outlets in the US. I mean, there already are that are doing very few hours of unique thinking to generate content. And those that are not good at their job will be able to get their content on those sites. And it's not going to have a huge amount of impact reputationally, but some will call that a win. So I I think it'll make a bit of change, but not a huge change. I'm just thinking through, talking through PR with you today. I've got so many ideas that we can apply to the podcast and my business, the accountancy firm and the businesses around it. Do you find that people, business owners don't think of PR first and go straight to things like website, digital marketing. I feel like it's so powerful because it's so newsworthy. You can get so much traction. It's very specific to something in that that need or requirement. And you can become an expert as a firm or a person so quickly using the right PR. But I feel like of all the clients that I have, there'd be a handful that use PR companies, but I'd Mm. say there'd be a lot that use a marketing agency So do you think that it's a growing industry or is it a mature industry? And what do you see for the industry as a whole? I think it's a growing industry. I think for a while it has struggled to prove its relevance and it hasn't lined up what it does closely enough with what a business considers to be valuable or success. This is what we do and you can pay to receive it. And if you don't appreciate the impact it has, in the way that we're doing it, well, then that's your concern. So I think the industry is learning to find a lot more relevance and adapt what it does to the actual needs and expectations of the client. I think maybe it's been a little bit arrogant in the past. Of we are good at what we do and we know it and you're lucky to have it. <laughs> a bit of that attitude. Yeah. I find a lot of our clients have come to us not having worked with PR before or they haven't didn't have a good experience. And so they might come to us with that perspective of PR comes third or fourth. Mm. But once they're working with us for a while and they see the value, they'll often bring us in as that trusted advisor or even a sounding board at the early stages of an idea because we have really good researching abilities We've really got our finger on the pulse of what a general opinion would be and what certainly what the media would think. And so that's an important perspective. And we can see opportunities to leverage whatever it is that they're doing. You know, something as simple as client case studies. That's one of the other tactics that we use is letting your client say that you're amazing instead of you doing it yourself. And what's the best format to do that in? And could you maybe use that in multiple channels? Could it be a video? Could it be that the client speaks to a journalist? Could it be that you've got a testimonial? You know, all the different ways that that can be played out. We love coming up with spotting those opportunities and then coming up ways to leverage it for them. 
Phoebe, tell us a little bit about what's happening for Pure Public Relations in the next few years. What are the plans for you and your business coming up? Anything exciting? I've always been a big believer in having a team of specialists, not generalists. And so for us to grow and not dilute that specialty focus that we've got, it's going to look like having different divisions that are service-based. So we'll have pure content which focuses a lot more on developing content. We'll have pure advocacy and different things that we already do, but just further specialties and clients can move across each of those as they need to or as their organisation evolves over time as well. So I'm really excited about that because it means that we can still keep grabbing the best talent and then putting them in a place where they're focusing on their strengths, not needing to do their strengths, but then improve their weaknesses. Let's just get them doing only what they love and what they're really great at and build a team around the client that way. That's a really good strategy. I wish you luck with that. And I want to say thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our listeners today. It's definitely going to be an episode that I'm really proud of and I'm going to listen to it again and take lots of notes. A big thank you for joining us on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Phoebe. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.